Hello everyone, welcome back to Legends of Surgery. I'm your host, Tyler Rose. This bonus episode is going to be a bit different in that I'm going to cover the history of an interesting condition that has some excellent history behind it, which we can trace from the Arabic world, to colonial India, to Europe and on to the modern world. This object, in addition to causing medical problems in humans, were also coveted as a potent antidote to poisoning. It took a simple and arguably cruel experiment conducted by the legendary surgeon Ambro Paré to disprove this. But despite this experiment, the bezoar continues to be used in some traditional medical practices, and that demand is threatening some endangered species. So let's get this story of a stone rolling in this episode of Legends of Surgery. For centuries, the medical world believed that a stone-like substance found in the stomach of animals could protect from poisonings. In fact, this belief is so ancient that the name of these stones literally means antidote. By the 16th century, these stones would sell for over 10 times their weight in gold and became status symbols to the wealthy and even developed a cottage industry creating counterfeit stones which sprang up to take advantage of this value. However, as I said, it took a Renaissance surgeon to question and then crack the fallacy of this belief. The story of the Bezoar is the story of medicine, colonial conquest, and even the human impact on ecology. So what are Bezoars? Well, these are concretions of inedible or undigested foreign material found in the GI tracts of animals, often ruminants, but other mammals as well. In humans, these are frequently divided into four types based on composition and include phytobezoars, made of indigestible or vegetable fibers, lactobezoars, milk proteins, pharmacobezoars, medications, and trichobezoars, which are conglomerations of hair and food particles. There is even a subtype of trichobezoars when it extends the entire length of the small bowel, which is appropriately referred to as the Rapunzel syndrome. Now, the word bezoar is thought to date back to the ancient Persian word pad-zar. In Farsi, pad means to expel and zar means poison. The later word in Arabic, bazar or badzer, meant counterpoison or antidote. And indeed, early Arabic medical texts dating back to the 8th century CE claimed that bezoars found in animals, typically goats or sheep, could protect from poisons as well as venom. Arabic physician Yuhana ibn Masawayh, who lived from 777 to 857 CE, was one of the first to mention the use of bezoars, describing them as a treatment against not only lethal poisonings, but also scorpion and snake bites. Other physicians from the Islamic Golden Age also wrote about bezoars, including Razis, who lived from 855 to 925 CE, and Al-Biruni, who lived from 973 to 1050 CE. The latter was a Shiite Muslim born in Persia, but spent some time in India and was exposed to Sanskrit literature. It is likely that he was familiar with the teachings of the Ayurveda, the ancient system of medicine of the Indian subcontinent. One of its foundational texts, the Sushruta Samhita, which dates back centuries, makes references to bezoars. It might have been exposure to these texts that led Al-Biruni to write the following about bezoars, quote, As a matter of fact, this stone should have been the costliest among stones, for, whereas jewels are things of the body and ornament, and are of no use in body ailments, the bezoar stone guards the body and the soul, and saves them from being harmed, end quote. He even offered a theory of how bezoars obtain their properties, by describing how they are formed in stags and goats that eat snakes, which gave them a tolerance to snake venom. 
The next phase in the history of bezoars was the transfer of medical knowledge from the Arabic centers of learning to a Europe emerging from the Dark Ages. Interestingly, there is no record of bezoars from the foundational medical traditions of Western medicine, the classic Greek and Roman teachings of Hippocrates and Galen. The first mention of bezoars in European writing, in fact, comes from the writings of Ibn Zur, an Arab physician in Seville, Spain, dating back to around 1140 CE. Within a few centuries, bezoars had become established in the armamentarium of Renaissance Europe physicians. In fact, this could be categorized as an alexipharmic, meaning an antidote to poison or infection. This was introduced into English in the 17th century and comes from the Greek words alexine, meaning to ward off, and pharmakon, meaning drug. The belief was that bezoars could be worn as a charm, ground into a powder and consumed, or dropped into a drink to ward off poisons. Now, given the nature of their formation, bezoars were understandably quite rare. Given this rarity, they had great value, making them unobtainable for all but the wealthiest patrons. One solution was to rent out one from alchemists. However, like any valuable commodity, an industry of imitation blossomed, in part thanks to Europe's age of discovery. By the 16th century, the Portuguese controlled the bezoar trade from India. Part of this is credited to Garcia de Orta, who lived from 1490 to 1568 CE, who was a Portuguese Jewish physician and naturalist. After training in Spain and working in Portugal, de Orta sailed for Goa in India, the eastern crown jewel in the Portuguese colonial empire, in 1534. It may have been that he was trying to elude the inquisitors, and in fact his sister was born at the stake, quote, as an impenitent Jewess, end quote, a year after de Orta's death. And his remains were actually exhumed and burnt as posthumous punishment for being a secret Jew during his life. While in Goa, de Orta was exposed to a host of traditional medical practices from India and further afield in Asia. He collected this newfound knowledge of Eastern spices, drugs, and other therapeutics, including bezoar stones, in his magnum opus, Conversations on the Simples, Drugs, and Medicinal Substances of India, which was published in 1563. Only the third book ever printed in Asia, and the first non-religious text, it achieved great popularity in European universities, helping to further popularize bezoar stones in medicine. Goa became an important exporter of bezoar stones, yet couldn't keep up with the demand from Europe. This led to an enterprising Jesuit monk named Gaspar Antonio, who lived and worked in Goa, to develop the Lapis de Goa, an artificial bezoar stone. Made of a conglomeration of materials including clay, silt, resin, amber, coral, crushed up gems, and even bits of naturally occurring bezoars, these were polished and sold to wealthy Europeans for as much as 10 times their weight in gold. I'll post a picture on Twitter, but if you missed that, make sure you Google an image. They are quite beautiful. The Goa stones became a status symbol and would be displayed in ornate gold and silver intricately designed orbs, often containing arabesque design and animal symbols such as unicorns and griffins. A few have survived and can be seen in museums. They were even worn as amulets to ward off disease with the added benefit of demonstrating the wealth and importance of the wearer. Queen Elizabeth I, who lived from 1533 to 1603 CE, wore a specimen set in a ring on her finger. Near the height of their popularity, bezoars became a sort of panacea and were thought to treat all manner of illnesses, including plague, measles, fever in children, gout, muscle spasms, heart ailments, 
and could serve as a general cordial or invigorant in order to raise the spirits. To get a sense of their value, one Christoph Heblin wrote to a wealthy banker, quote, This stone should be held in high esteem and may be used with confidence not only by those facing imminent death, but also in other dangers, be it at home or abroad, particularly in our present time in which many godless and wicked people have stealthily murdered several noble persons with deadly poison. For this reason, it is advisable for all to obtain a Bezoar stone, regardless of how much effort and money it may take, and to have it readily available at all times as a precious treasure and antidote." Now the shine was taken off these stones, so to speak, by the Renaissance French barber surgeon Ambroise Paré sometime in the 1500s. A cook who worked in the royal kitchens was convicted of stealing silverware and sentenced to death by hanging, which seems a little harsh in retrospect. Paré, however, proposed an alternative. If the cook agreed to be poisoned instead, Paré would administer a bezoar to test its ability to neutralize it. If successful, the cook would be allowed to go free as a reward for acting as a test subject. Unfortunately for him, the cook died in just seven hours after consuming the poison, demonstrating the ineffectiveness of bezoars. Given this experiment, emblematic of the rise of Western medicine and evidence-based practice over unquestioned medical dogma, bezoars fell out of favor as a cure in Europe. However, this did not end the use of bezoars in medicine, as a number of Eastern medical practices continue to use them for centuries. And similar to the situation for other alternative remedies that have created demands for threatened species such as tigers, rhinoceroses, and black bears, among others, the appetite for bezoar stones has created a market for poachers. In Chinese traditional medicine, bezoars are thought to cure diabetes, dang fever, and cancer and just a few ounces can be worth hundreds or even thousands of dollars. The animal most frequently targeted are porcupines that live throughout Southeast Asia. It is estimated that 1 in 10 porcupines contain bezoars in their guts, and so they are killed and their stomachs are cut open in the hopes of finding one. This kind of poaching threatens to drive some of these porcupine species into extinction for the desire of a remedy with an efficacy long disproven. The story of this medical oddity dates back for centuries, tracing the history of medicine, colonialism, and reflects the fears and ambitions of society. Today, its history reflects modern debates of science over tradition and our growing concern over the remaining wilds of this planet. Well, that wraps up this special bonus episode of Legends of Surgery, and I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download episodes and leave a comment there, or follow me on Twitter at Surgery Legends. Like us on Facebook at Legends of Surgery or send an email to legendsofsurgery at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you about your thoughts on the podcast or ideas for future episodes. And as always, thanks for listening.